God's grace, peace, and His mercy be with you on this fifth Sunday of Easter through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Now, notice anything familiar Jesus says in our reading from John? Let me recap for you in case you missed it. Peter asks Jesus about this man, John. What about him? He says. Jesus answers, If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Follow me. Are your thoughts going back to an earlier scene in this gospel? Can you think of another time Jesus said to someone uh, something along the lines of, what's it to you? Or, what, is it, what does that have to do with me? Think now. I'm not going any further until someone answers. Yeah, exactly, Paul. All right, the wedding at Cana, right. Uh, these two seemingly flippant responses from Jesus are well, they're not something you, you'd expect from a man and God who loves the world, the whole world, and has come to save us all. Yet, this is how he speaks. What's it to me, woman, that they don't have any more wine? It's not my time yet. What's it to you about this man? If it's my will that he live longer than you or the rest of, the, or the rest of you, what's it to you? Yeah, I think we Christians for so long have been analyzing and nitpicking Jesus' sayings for so long, reverently seeking to extract every kind of meaning and application uh, of them to our lives, that when he, says, uh, when he says things in a way like we talk to each other, we don't really know what to make of it. But think of, think of it this way. When we were children, we asked our dads, you know, when are we going to do this? When are we going to do that? When are we going to leave? When are we going to have something to eat? And dad says, it'll happen when it happens. You know, we'll get there when we get there. What's it to you? Don't worry about it. You know, mainly mom and, da- and dad, you know, uh, said these things because they didn't like answering a bunch of questions when they had other things on their mind. And as a child, it was your job to, anyways, just to follow along and go with the plan, go where you were told and go when you were told, right? But I think John is telling us about this, he's telling, in this little, telling us in this, through this little scene, he's showing us that uh, the same thing is going on with our relationship with God. We are his children, he is our father. And it's not that, he ha- that he's too busy or he has too much on his mind to answer us. It's that we, too, have many questions that he's chosen not to reveal to us yet. Or he's chosen not to reveal the answers to yet. But he has given us what we have in the Bible, and it is enough. It is sufficient to create faith and for us to know Jesus and the salvation he brings. I mean, look at the final words in this book of John. John tells us Jesus did so many other things, so many things you couldn't write them in all the books. You know, there'd be too many for the world to be able to hold. Which is kind of a a humorous exaggeration to get you to imagine, to be amazed at all the things Jesus did and said. But what are they? Don't you want to know? I do. But our God tells us 
What is all that to you? You have enough. Follow me. That's what you need to do and know. And so we do. The thing is, we're following him through times which are a-changing. You know, it's not like we all had smartphones as far back as the resurrection. When Jesus sent his disciples out into the world before he ascended to heaven, no doubt the world had its troubles. But I'm not sure that digital loneliness or phoneliness, as it's now known, uh, was one of them. Now I'll get to that in a minute. The disciples were sent out into cultures and peoples who had never heard about Jesus. Yet they knew what community was. They knew what that was. They had an identity and a belonging, whether they were Greeks, Romans, or Persians. Christianity took hold among people who already knew what it was to belong. And for almost 2,000 years, the Christian church has been known as a people who not only belong to Christ, but also to each other. A people who are known from the earliest accounts as a people who eat together, gather in homes to meet, a people who visit one another, and congregate to worship their God. But we Christians are also now experiencing some phenomena which most of the world has already begun to grapple with. People being members of groups and organizations isn't so much on the decline as much as their participation in them. And this goes for the church as well. And I think you already know this. You know, we've got lots of people on the membership roles, but their participation in the worship life of the congregation, well, that's something different. Now, that issue has been around a long time, but it may be the case that it's being made worse by phoneliness. You know, the uncontrollable urge to pick up your phone and see if you've missed something. Just in case you've already heard about all this from another source and you're thinking, great, now pastor's going to tell me that my cell phone is evil. No, I'm not saying your digital device is evil. What you do with it might be. I'm saying that when Jesus says, follow me, it's going to be an ever-increasing challenge for us to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ when they're phonely, and even more challenging when we're suffering from the same sickness. Now, I'm not going to show, I mean, I'm not going to throw statistics at you. You know, anybody can argue those. But it doesn't take much convincing by statistics to bear out what you can already see with your own eyes. A lot of people, my age and younger, are doing this. Kind of a strange uh, non-community community, isn't it? In fact, I was just at the, at the concert here in Sherwood for the Voices for the Performing Arts. You know, Claire Shipman was, was singing in the choir, and uh, you know, my boys used to be in it and everything. So we're at this concert, and, you know, 10 minutes into it, a 10-year-old boy just walks up into the stand, off into the corner where no one was sitting, and is on his phone. Does this for the rest of the concert. I'm thinking, wow, okay. Bored with this concert, are you? <laughs> oh, okay, he's 10 years old, right? Yeah, he's bored. Uh, but boy, in my day, I would have had to have sat there and watched that whole concert and suffered through it, right? 
You know, I bring this up because I think I'm not the only, and I'm not the only one saying this, but seeking belonging in a digital world, you know, we're starting to see the negative impacts on people participating in the real world. And, you know, it, the consequences of all this are still yet to be seen, you know. The other week at the pastor's conference in Salem, we were talking about this very subject. And no sooner had, had we been just done discussing all this, I'm talking with a colleague of, of mine, and right in the middle of my conversation, you know, he digs in his pocket and gets his phone out. And, is, and I'm like, uh, hey, man, am I boring you? He's like, oh, oh, no, no, I'm just checking something. I said, well, can you do that when, I'm, you know, when we're finished talking? You know, I can be that blunt with my colleagues. I, I can't do that with you. You'd be offended. <laughs> but... You know, how many of you have already checked your digital device at least once since I got up here? Okay, now, probably not many of you at this service. Okay, but at the 1045 service, a few. Now, you know, I know I've, ex I've experimented with the text in church thing while I'm preaching, right? You know, I I'm trying to learn, trying to find out what's effective, what can help people, you know, digest the gospel, I haven't figured all this out. But I do know, and you know, we were created by God to belong to Him and each other. We were made for community. And when sin entered the world, Satan has done his best ever since to destroy community, the community of the church. Because when he can get us more alone and lonely, it's easier for him to consume us. In community, however, in communion with Christ, there's strength and power in numbers. Now, I know a lot of you are already involved in so many other communities, maybe. You know, you got your neighborhood groups or your, your uh, I don't know, whatever. At least you've got the, at least Pastor Kiesling got the, the senior group going, right? So that's a good group, you know, to stick with that group. But I know you've got other groups that you may be involved with. And the church may be but one community of many that demand your time. But it's good that you're in the world as an ambassador of Christ among people who may not know him. And perhaps you're trying to reach some of them. But if you're not inviting your fellow church members into your home, if you're not spending some time with them apart from Sunday worship, and worse, if you're spending more time in the digital device seeking community, which I don't think many of you are, but if you are, and if you're, if you're seeking belonging with those you're not even sure are real on the, on the other end of this, then maybe there's some sort of disconnect going on there. We can do better. I know I can do better. I don't want to be phonely, and I don't want that for anybody. That's why I've made confirmation for the youngsters, uh, uh, for the youth, more of a, a family gathering where we eat together and learn. You know, I'm hoping it will be a, a sort of a remedy to, this, to that kind of thing. Uh, we don't want to become a caffeine-free Diet Coke church either. Consider this. We drink Coke or any drink for two reasons, for its thirst-quenching or nutritional value and for its taste. In the case of caffeine-free Diet Coke, nutritional value is suspended and the caffeine, as the key ingredient of its taste, is also taken away. 
All that remains is a pure semblance, an artificial promise of a substance which never materialized. Is it not true in this sense? In the case of caffeine-free Diet Coke, we almost literally drink nothing in the guise of something? That's a philosopher uh, Slavoj Žižek, popular modern-day philosopher. Don't you love philosophy? Makes you think, right? As a church, we don't want to become nothing in the guise of something. We were created for a community. And even though I might try harder as the pastor to foster a sense of belonging amongst us, I can't do any better than what Jesus has already done. Confession or confessing. Confessing what we believe is a beginning of a deeper community. It's what the church began to do almost immediately when the apostles received the Holy Spirit and were sent out. We confess together what we trust in and believe. We also confess our numerous faults together and frailties and receive forgiveness and life together. I don't know, now that I think of it, this whole digital loneliness thing is a, might be a way in which God can bring us to realize more fully that we were made for community. You know, if you don't realize what you don't have or miss what you, what you had, and I'm getting tired of saying the word community, but, you know, that's what church is, right? And that's what we want to keep being. And it's what we want for others. It's what we want for the people we're trying to reach. We want more people to be saved. Christianity isn't just a me and Jesus mindset. It's a, a communal one. Jesus' flippant and enig enigmatic response to John spread among the brothers. The late first century church, that young community in Christ which we, were, which we are related to, we're connected to it. They're still our community. We are their community. We are in communion with them today. Luther is helpful uh, for us in understanding this. <clears throat> in understanding the deep community and the body of Christ, he says, the fellowship that is affected by the sacrament consists of this, that all the spiritual possessions of Christ and his saints are shared with and become the common property of him who receives this sacrament. The fellowship is like a city where every citizen shares with all the others the city's name, honor, freedom, trade, customs, usages, help, support, protection, and the like. While at the same time, he shares all the dangers of fire and flood, enemies and death, losses, taxes, and the like. I guess we could add in there digital loneliness until it's overshadowed or replaced by with some other contemporary dilemma. Whatever the case, we share our joys and burdens together. What is it to us that we worry and overly concern ourselves with matters we can't control? I used this picture last, last time. I like it. So I'll use it again. It's community. Some of you were related to the people in this picture. God reminds us here that He is in control of matters related to our future. He's made a place for us here and on the new earth. 
So we follow him. We follow his promise that by patience and comfort through his word, we may embrace and hold on to ever more tightly the hope of everlasting life. So this text today ends the Gospel of John. It was written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God and man who came from heaven to earth to seek and save the lost. That's you and me. Together we receive His love every day, and He gives us power to be His children. So we ask you, Lord, let us not become lonelier. Let us not fall into despair, but be joyful and in communion with you and one another, especially in the midst of our troubles. Amen. And may the peace of God, which passes all human understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ. Amen.